This podcast of the Gamecock Central Takeover Hour presented by Firehouse Subs is sponsored by AAA Heating and Air. The premier HVAC company in the Midlands is growing. Are you a top HVAC technician? AAA Heating and Air is looking for dedicated applicants to fill their fast-growing service department with top-notch HVAC technicians. If you're the best, then they want you. If you're ready to stop working and start a career, you can earn up to $100,000 a year at AAA Heating and Air. Quality candidates will have at least two years' experience and a good driving record. Benefits include top industry salaries, commission on service and unit sales, set call limits, company-provided take-home vehicle and gas card, company-provided cell phone and tablet, health, dental, and vision benefits, 401k retirement plan with company match and scaled PTO based on length of service. Contact Roy and Dana Finley at 803-677-1500 or check out their job postings on Facebook or ZipRecruiter. Triple A air when you need us. Triple A heating and air. It's the Gamecock Central Takeover Hour, presented by Firehouse Subs, founded by Firemen with Chris Clark. The 2007 South Carolina class was at that time, sixth in the country and fourth in the SEC, which is amazing. West Mitchell. You know, I think if you're South Carolina, you're you're aiming to, to at least be at 50%. Then in theory, you're adding talent, you're getting better, you're putting yourself in a position to compete. And Tyler Head. It's been a great week for South Carolina. On the recruiting front, still certainly plenty to talk about. On the home of the Gamecocks. 107.5. The Game. Welcome into the Gamecock Central Takeover Hour presented by Firehouse Subs, Tyler, West, and Chris, along with you on this Tuesday morning. Hopefully everybody enjoyed their Memorial Day weekend. Just wrapping up the Garnet Trust Hour, talking with Nick Gargiulo, the offensive line transfer from Yale for the Gamecocks. Great interview, by the way. Uh, learned a lot of things over the course of that hour. Uh, he is an aspiring golfer, uh, still working on perfecting how to eat a chicken wing, and he is uh, very ready for the South Carolina Heat here in a couple of weeks. He, he's been warned. I don't know if he's ready. Uh, also, we learned Chris was trying to get him in trouble, uh, which he was on to you. He avoided it. He avoided it. Yeah, he did. He, he was on to you, though. And <laughs> I, I think, uh, I mean, you can, tell, you can tell the guys from Yale. Yeah, yeah, very, very well spoken. He out, he outsmarted me trying to trying to get him pinned down on something. He's like, nope, not, you're not going to get me in trouble. He had he had a little craftiness. Very, very um, entertaining guy. Very funny. Very big. Breaking news: transfer from <laughs> Yale. Very smart. <laughs> yeah. Yes. He, uh, cool guy though. I, I like him uh, a lot. I could see smart. why he just rolled right in. He had just enough of that. Uh, crazy eye look to him that I could see how when he turns it on on the field like I could see how that's a thing and uh, you know that was one of the first things we heard we're like man this Garjulo guy a uh, little bit a little bit out there on the field might might be I don't know maybe one of Carolina's best blockers this year and you know just instantly came in and, and kind of made an impact in the spring and you know, these, these transfer guys, honestly, you know, sometimes they come in and, you know, you sort of maybe hear, well, it's, it's not an easy transition. Sometimes you hear they, they've they just slid right in and, and fit right in. And that, that was the case with, with Garchula right off the bat. You know, Chris and I heard that both from offensive guys and from defensive guys talking about, you know, his ability to, to block the defensive guys. So, uh, but yeah, you can uh, very likable guy, 
I think he's got a future in coaching if he wants it. But uh, maybe ends up working for some startup of his buddies. I, I don't know. He's got a lot of options, I'm sure. Yeah, he was. He was. He almost. I don't know the startup thing. Like he almost had a little bit of a of a jab at the startup thing a little yeah. bit. So I don't know. He he um he kind of reminds me of what's that phrase that Stanford used uh, back in the day? Intellectual brutality. I don't know that phrase. That's a, well, now you do. That's a good Nick Gargiulo, like intellectual brutality. What does it's, that mean? Basically, like we're going to outsmart you and beat you mentally and physically. That, that was their big motto. And then Mike Bloomgren took it from Stanford to Rice. I don't think it worked that well at Rice. But it worked well at Stanford. How do you know all this, Chris? This is, uh, this is very intriguing. I, <laughs> I think that's what I want in my center, though. It's perfect. Say that phrase again? Intellectual brutality. Yeah, I think that's what I want in my center. Now, yeah. he played a lot of guard. Yeah. And, you know, I think there's some different things you could do there. He could. I, I still think Sean Lee could play guard potentially as well. Like, I... Uh, it seems like at least the way they were putting it during the spring, maybe if both guys are on the field, which right now it looks like they're both going to have to be, I think, that they had Lee at center, Gargiulo at guard. You know, I mean, Lee's played some guard in his career as well, but I, that that's what I want in my, in my center is the guy that can combine those two things. But um, he seemed to really like playing inside and – yeah. Said it was a heck of a lot easier than playing left tackle. Well, yeah. I believe he said left tackle was the hardest position on the offensive line, his opinion at least. Yeah, I'm always curious to get that perspective from an actual offensive lineman because that's kind of what I'd worked out in my mind. But then you think about, like I always think about, this is dumbing it down. This is like very, very oversimplifying it. But I always think about, all right, you're a center, okay? You're snapping the football and you instantly have at least one guy trying to destroy you right but for him it was about the concept of having help you know if you're a center you got help on on the left you got help on the right left tackle you're on an island but he played it and played it well at Yale yeah and I, I think um I, I believe he said guard is the easiest yes because you have help on both sides and you don't have the mental <laughs> aspect of making all those calls and you know so that, that's certainly a factor as well but but man left Left tackle against some of the guys you're going to face in this league, that is, that's tough, man. And and that's honestly why I think you go into this um, this summer stretch, this sort of preseason stretch for South Carolina, and all of a sudden, I do find myself a little bit concerned about the offensive line when you throw in the fact that Jalen Nichols, uh, you know, had had the big injury. So it's kind of a situation where. There are some guys on this offensive line who have played and played a pretty good bit, even if they weren't quote-unquote starters at the end of last year. However, there's that big kind of gaping hole right there at left tackle. And we asked Shane Beamer during the Welcome Home Tour, he didn't just say, hey, you know, Ja'Kai Moore is next man up. He said there's a bunch of guys who are going to get a look there. Haven't heard anything, even though Gargiulo did play left tackle. Haven't, you know, to swing this back to him as the subject, haven't heard anything about him possibly getting a look there. Mm-hmm. Seems more like he's guard, he's center. Um, but Marky Anderson, who I think long-term is an interior guy, certainly sounds like, um, you know, he could be a factor. Maybe even at left tackle, he played there some in the spring game. 
Yeah, it's really interesting what Nick said, too, about the depth. You know, sometimes, even though he wouldn't give away the secrets, I was trying to get him to give away, Wes. He didn't give you nothing. He didn't give me anything. But he did He did give us a little nugget in, in that he kind of admitted. He didn't give the standard, like, oh, well, it's next man up, you know. I mean, he admitted, like, look, you're playing offensive line. I thought it was really interesting. Playing offensive line, you're going to have some guys get hurt. Mm-hmm. Like he just straight up just said it. And he's right. You know, you think about the Jalen Nichols injury, but he put it in terms of you're going to have a guy roll an ankle or something and be out for three or four games. And if you think back to even just the last few years at South Carolina, that's happened, right? I mean, Dylan Wanham, unfortunately, had some injury struggles with a, a couple different things at South Carolina that sidelined him for a good portion of the season at times that forced you because he was a starter now you're moving more things around so you know coming into the year you felt pretty decent about what South Carolina had because yes they had lost three very experienced players on the offensive line but they're plugging in some pieces of guys who had starting experience um, who had played plenty of football now you've lost one of those and so it can kind of it really digs into your depth there something else we learned that I guess he didn't actually say it. He didn't come out and say it explicitly, but uh, pretty much kind of did. Sounded like his group won what I guess was, was it still called Grit Night this year? Yeah, I, th- I think that was it. Is it Grit Night every year? Is that the final um, yes. The final challenge? That's uh, what we were talking about when he said that he won. Winter workouts? Yeah. Um, but basically, that was the thing where they had guys digging things up and then having to carry the buckets full of water, I think. I thought they were buckets of concrete at first when I heard about <laughs> this, but I think they were buckets of water. They had to dig them up and then carry them all around the ramps into the stadium, basically. And um, so he, his, he, he did seem like that guy that, and he even admitted this, that kind of enjoys those crazy, weird competitions, and I think is the type of person you want on your team if you were in a battle like that. But I thought it was interesting that that his team, I guess you will, his group won that. Um, you know, again, guy comes in from Yale, I get it. Like, some people probably like, wait, what? But uh, I do think there are good players at that level. There's just not as many yes. good players, and... You know, maybe maybe the athleticism, maybe a guy's a tick off, and you know, maybe maybe a forty yard dash is a tick slower at that level, or a guy's an inch and a half shorter than the equivalent guy at the SEC. But as we've seen for South Carolina, you can find good players at these other levels, and it certainly seems that they have done that, and that he has fit right in. Um, even though he admitted he looked around, it's like athletically, wow. Everybody here is big and fast, but he has slid right in, it seems like, as far as being a guy who fits with what you have to be at the SEC level. There's actually an Ivy League receiver um, from Princeton, Andre, I'll probably botch the last name, Andre Iasivis. I definitely botched that. But he was an All-American in two sports as a heptathlete. Uh, he was drafted by the Bengals. He ran a 4.39. So, I mean, to your point, and Nick said this too, like, hey, we've got SEC level guys. He, he said, when, when I got here to South Carolina, you look around, everybody's an SEC guy. You know, there's some in the Ivy League. 
Um, you see Ivy League guys get drafted all the time. And I think you, you see this a lot. Like, remember when Nick Muse came from William & Mary, Garzulo, even like Juice Wells. Mm-hmm. Like, oh, we're taking a receiver from James Madison. You know, like, well, he's pretty good. You know, you're not going to see all 22 be that good, but some of those guys do slip through the cracks and, and get down to that level. If you took a roster full of James Madison's tra- James Madison transfers or Yale transfers or William Mary, that's the roster you're going to get. But when you can just go pick them, it, it's kind of like the draft. You look at the NFL draft, where are the best players? Let's go pick those players. And that's what you have to do in recruiting, whether it's high school, JUCO, or even from the transfer market. Right. If you missed any of that conversation with Nick Garzulo, I'll have it up on the 107.5 The Game podcasting page shortly. We'll come back on the other side. South Carolina baseball learned that they are going to be hosting a regional at the end of the week. We'll talk about that next on the Gamecock Central Takeover Hour, presented by Firehouse Subs on 107.5 The Game. It's the Gamecock Central Takeover Hour. 107.5 The Game. Y'all know what day it is. I think it's Tuesday, and I know that it is Turkey Bacon Ranch Day. That's Juice Wells' favorite day. That's Tyler's favorite day. It's my third favorite day behind a couple of others. But uh, head on over to Firehouse Subs. You know, you can go to firehousesubs.com. You can hit it on the app. Whatever you're most comfortable with, you can walk in there and order it. But either way, $7.99, sub of the day. There's a sub of the day every single day now at Firehouse Subs. That's for the medium. You can get the small for $5.99, but who wants to do that? Go ahead and go for the medium, $7.99, every single day. Again, FirehouseSubs.com, Firehouse Subs app. Or if you'd rather wait in line, just go in there and tell them you want the sub of the day. Again, that's Tuesday Turkey Bacon Ranch. Shout out again, Larry Chandler, our buddy over there at Firehouse Subs. Firehouse Subs is the presenting sponsor of GC Takeover every single day of the week. More on the NCAA Regional coming up at the end of the week next on the Gamecock Central Takeover Hour on 107.5 The Game. It's the Gamecock Central Takeover Hour. Presented by Firehouse Subs. Founded by Firemen with Chris Clark, Wes Mitchell, and Tyler Head. On your home of the Gamecocks. 107.5 The Game. And welcome back into the Gamecock Central Takeover Hour presented by Firehouse Subs. Here on 107.5 The Game, Tyler West and Chris along with you on this Tuesday morning. As I mentioned before the break there, after a lot of questions, South Carolina did find out that they are going to be hosting an NCAA regional coming up at the end of this week as the number 15 overall seed going to be matched up with the Gainesville regional that Florida is hosting as well. And the three teams coming into Founders Park this week are going to be Central Connecticut State, North Carolina State, and perhaps the most dangerous one of them all, the Campbell Camels coming in as the two seed, a number 14 overall ranking in the D1 uh, baseball latest top 25. But for South Carolina, you know, we've talked about it for several weeks. Would their resume stack up and get them a hosting seed? And at the end, that's that's what uh, ended up winning out for them. Would y'all have known they were the Campbell fighting Camels if you didn't read it? Uh, I knew that actually a couple years ago. They came into Athens and bounced Georgia in a regional. They're a very good baseball program. Well, you know, they were probably, what, one of the first two or three teams out as far as being a regional mm-hmm. host. So this, to me, felt like the committee basically saying, look, South Carolina, you're obviously one of the last teams in, but we're going to give you one of the first teams out in terms of hosting and send them to your place a lot of the projections leading up to this thing actually had South Carolina. 
the reverse, going to Campbell as the two seed with Campbell hosting. So this is a team that uh, has been really good this year. Um, head coach Justin Hare, I think, is very highly thought of in the college baseball community from what I've heard and read. And, you know, th- this is not a one-off for them. Like, they have, like, quietly been a really, really good program um, the last few years. And I, I think is is obviously a tough matchup for South Carolina. Now, you know you're going to you're gonna have to go through a pretty solid two most of the time, no matter who you are. But certainly, I would think one of the better two seeds in the country. And then NC State as the three, I, I don't get the sense NC State is quite as good this year as they usually are. Like That's a very rock-solid program, so a really good team most years. Um, you know, there was some talk, I think, about whether they would even get in or not. But certainly, you'd rather be the one, goes without saying, but being the one as opposed to being the two and maybe feeling like, not that you're just handed game one, right? But the way you can set up your pitching as a one seed is a little bit different than if you're a two having to battle it out with that three seed just to get to that winner's bracket uh, game. So I, I think certainly sets up well for South Carolina this weekend to uh, to beat Campbell. Yeah, it kind of lets you play from a pitching standpoint, like the longer game, right? You don't feel like, okay, we, we've absolutely got to get this done. We've got to throw the kitchen sink game one. But yeah, when you when you look, it's an interesting draw. I really like your point, Wes, about kind of, okay, you guys get to host, but you're also going to get a really, really difficult team, and that's what Campbell is. Colin Taylor on Gamecock Central has a great piece up that does pretty extensive breakdown of all the teams in the regional. Campbell's RPI, 13. So uh, quad one wins, nine and five. Quad two wins, eight and five this season. So like you said, Wes, one of the first teams out in terms of being a regional host. And if you just look at them statistically, they can hit really well and they're just really well-rounded. You know, you kind of look at what do they do well. They do a lot of everything well. They, They can hit for average. They have some guys with power, 116 homers as a team. At least six guys have 10 and they like to steal bases on you. You know, they've got some guys that can run. So I I think there's another point in here in Colin's piece that he didn't make explicitly, but when you kind of look through the teams, I think it illustrates how good South Carolina's resume still was despite their scuffle at the end of the year. You know, best series win for Central Connecticut State is Sacred Heart. You know, the best series win for NC State was against Louisville, who had kind of basically a down year this year, RPI number 43. And even Campbell, who's really, really good, their best series win was against Louisiana, which is a RPI 47 team. And look at South Carolina's resume. They have a few of those very high RPI wins. I think talking to Tommy Moody out there, eight wins, right, against the top eight seeds in mm-hmm. the tournament this year. Right. And you mentioned that skit they had at the end of the season going 5-13 and 13 down the stretch. It all kind of goes back to that Florida series. You sweep Florida, then you have that week off for exams where you didn't play a midweek game and everything kind of fell apart after that. And then you look to last week getting eliminated in the SEC tournament on Thursday and now having a full eight days off where you play this first game against Central Connecticut State on um, Friday night at 7 o'clock out at Founders Park in Kingston. And a couple of players were talking about this yesterday, an opportunity to kind of reset, obviously get guys healthy, and just uh, you know look at this as a brand new season because, uh, as Kingston said yesterday, it's like another opening day. And what you did up to this point outside of getting you the hosting seat or getting in the tournament doesn't matter, and it's a whole new ball game going forward. Yeah, and I think, uh, so looking through this Campbell team, 
Chris was throwing out some of the numbers there. I mean, if you have an OPS over a thousand as a team, like that, that is a huge number. Yeah. Uh, but but what stands out to me too is that this is a team that walks a lot. They strike out quite a bit as well. But it, it sounds like much like we saw South Carolina earlier in the year when they would feast on opponents who would put them on base. Uh, you know, take walks, uh, crowd the plate hit by pitches. How many times do we South, see South Carolina have big innings where, you know, they're getting the big home run ball, but they're getting guys on base by sort of manufacturing and working counts and uh, taking their hit by pitches? Well, this is a team that walks almost six times per game. So you're kind of at times that tells me you're feasting on uh, pitchers who probably are nibbling a little too much and, and maybe aren't able to go right at you. If I'm South Carolina, I look at that and I say, look, this is a good hitting lineup, obviously, but let, let's just play this thing out. Let's say it's Jack Mahoney. Obviously, there's going to be some question about how you split this up if you're South Carolina. Who do you throw game one? Who do you throw game two? I'm going Mahoney all the way in uh, in game two, me personally. But I, I think you go right at these guys and make them prove that they can – hit at a similar clip against a uh, you know an SEC staff and they they still 2.3 bases per game as well so they're going to try to run on you the the key to a team like this is just to go right at them and not put them in a situation where you're giving up free bases because then they're going to hit the long ball and they're going to try to just take second from you. Obviously, another key here is that it does look good for Messina to be back this weekend. So against potentially a team that runs, you know, that's huge to have your catcher, your leader, your main guy, uh, your heartbeat of the team back out there. Uh, But, hey, the guys have got to get past Central Connecticut State first before they can look ahead to Campbell and... It's a program, frankly, guys, I'm not familiar with at all until I saw the name pop up on the bracket. Do you know what their mascot is? Mm, the Lions. It's a blue devil. Ah, Would have never come up with that. Uh, it, you'll be interested to know on Friday, Colin and I are going to have a thorough discussion on which of these four mascots would win in a fight. So mm. a Gamecock, Wolfpack, Camel, or a Blue Devil. So we'll be putting in our research this week for that conversation. I look forward to that. You should. It's going to be good. Uh, by the way, Central Connecticut State, 0-4 in quad one games. 0-0 mm. and o in quad two games. And 1-0 and o in quad three games. Point being, they have played five games against quad one, two, or three. Everything else. So, yeah, actually a really nice record for them. Great in-conference uh, season for them, but pretty much all of their games were what the NCAA would call quad four games. That game against them coming up Friday night at 7 o'clock, which you can listen to right here on 107.5 The Game, North Carolina State, and Campbell will play early in the afternoon at 1 o'clock, and I believe you can see that game on the SEC Network. Come back on the other side. Uh, the SEC Spring Meeting is getting underway today down in Destin, Florida, and the conference schedule, the hot topic but the model that we've all been hoping for may not come to pass just yet. We'll talk about it on the other side. You're listening to the Gamecock Central Takeover Hour, presented by Firehouse Subs on 107.5 The Game. 
It's the Gamecock Central Takeover Hour. 107.5 The Game. Hey, any parents out there like me, you know you would do anything to protect your kids, your family. That's why it's so important to protect them with life insurance from State Farm. State Farm agent Amy Mason Cup will help make it easy and affordable to help you protect your family no matter what the future holds. Because for the people you do anything for, life insurance could mean everything. Call State Farm agent Amy Mason Cup in the Midlands today. Her office is right off of I-26, 612 St. Andrews Road, Suite 4 in Columbia. She can give you a personalized quote on life insurance to protect your children, to protect your loved ones. And if you want to check on some other insurance products, auto, home, boaters, renters, anything you need from an insurance standpoint, Amy Mason Cup State Farm can help you out with that. She's a local agent. She's a South Carolina native. Her team's awesome. I've worked with them personally. So she and her team, again, they can give you a personalized quote to meet your needs and help you save. Again, give her a call, 803-772-5554. You can check out her website, amymasoncup.com. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Will the SEC go to a nine-game conference schedule? Not if the money's not there. Talk about it next on the Gamecock Central Takeover Hour, presented by Firehouse Subs on 107.5 The Game. It's the Gamecock Central Takeover Hour, presented by Firehouse Subs, founded by Firemen, with Chris Clark, Wes Mitchell, and Tyler Head, on your home of the Gamecocks, 107.5 The Game. And welcome back into the Gamecock Central Takeover Hour, presented by Firehouse Subs. Tyler Weston, Chris Lang, you on this Tuesday morning. Today's the official start of the SEC spring meetings down in Destin, Florida. So we've talked about a lot over these past couple of weeks. Really, for this past year, it's been a point of conversation of what the SEC is going to do as far as the new schedule goes when Texas and Oklahoma join the conference in 2024. And while everybody seems to favor the nine-game conference schedule, the latest conversations, there's a great article up by Ross Dellinger on Sports Illustrated from yesterday, seems like the eight-game model might be put in place at least for one year in 2024. Well, I, I kind of get why, though, right? I mean, and first of all, maybe I'm one of the few people, I feel like nine-game model is a little bit awkward. The fact that you, some years play, hey, this year you play four home games, but you got five conference road games, then next year it flips like I don't know. Like, I, I've always thought of conference play, like within a league, being equal as far as home and road games. Like, throughout sports, you, I feel like you don't see there being one game more away or one game more at, at home. So, I feel like nine games is a little bit awkward as, to, as far as, like, schedule, uh, strength, equity, maybe. However, on the other side of this, if I'm the SEC and I can get more money for that ninth game, then certainly you're probably going to make that move. But it sounds like at this point ESPN is kind of balking at that idea of renegotiating this contract and changing it with this additional game. So if I'm the SEC and I'm bargaining, I'm not giving you that extra game right. for nothing. Yeah, and that's what it all boils down to is the fact that ESPN – is not ponying up any more money at this point in time. The number figure I saw estimated would be in the area of about $80 million extra million per year, about $5 million mm-hmm. per school 
for that extra game. And if, for those that don't know, ESPN is also in the midst of laying off a lot of employees right now. So it uh, wouldn't be the best optics if they just suddenly shelled out another near $100 million while cutting a lot of their employees. Do I eventually think they're going to come around to that ninth game? Likely so, especially when they see the, you know, getting that first full year of the SEC package in 24 and seeing the ratings that, you know, Texas and Oklahoma bring to the conference. I think they'll eventually come around, but this kind of seems to me like a stopgap thing in the meantime. Well, and y'all remember our conversation, I guess that was last week or the week before, the fact that ESPN is heavily exploring going off on their own as far as a standalone streaming package. Well, it certainly feels like, uh, Traditional cable, satellite, streaming services, streaming in general is still at a little bit of a crossroads as far as um, what's the next step. And, you know, I certainly think live sports are still where the value is as far as those things go. And it's one of the few things that you still can force people to watch live at a particular time as opposed to being on demand. But, I think if you're ESPN, you know things are a little bit in flux right now. You know you have, uh, what would you call it, like macroeconomic things involved. Like the entire country, the economy is a little bit in flux right now. And like Tyler said, you're laying people off right now. You're kind of waiting for that shoe to drop to see where things are overall. And so it certainly, I think, makes sense to press pause on this thing right now yeah you don't want to rob peter to pay paul type of things because because you've got you think about uh, 80 million dollars you know espn could do that and they could but factor in what you guys have said but also you know they're involved rights are expensive for all these sports and so yes college football is huge but you know what else is huge the college football playoff and the nba and ufc you know, the, these are big, too. And so if you're in the bidding process of those, you kind of, as you said, Wes, need to see kind of where those things shake out. Um, I don't know. Some schools have gone on record saying that they're not in favor of this. And I, I think it makes sense if you're the SEC or if you're some of these individual schools or really all of them to say, why would we go to the ninth if there's not more money? Even if you don't really care, you can use that mm-hmm. as a negotiating tactic. If if they're going to make you play an extra game, why not? And Greg Sankey, interestingly, has said today, guys, that he has an opinion on it that he has not stated yet. What do you all think it is? I think he leans more towards the nine-game model. I think so, too. That's my theory, at least. If they're going to pay. If they're going to pay. And he's probably got some gamesmanship about it, too. Well, here's the thing. Just from a negotiating standpoint, if if I give you... If I give you something and I set that up as the the expectation, okay, Tyler, I'm giving you this okay. for free. And then next year I'm like, hey, man, I'm going to give you this, but now I need you to pay me. You'd be like, but no, you already set the standard. <laughs> You're giving it to me. Right. So I, I feel like this is kind of standard negotiating. Mm. I'm going to make you pay for it to set that precedent now not be not set the precedent that hey this ninth game is not valuable uh so i I think i think it makes sense on all sides honestly i'm still okay with eight games me personally and i think south carolina should be too the way they have scheduled up they they play clemson every year this year they're playing north carolina (laughs) you want to add in a ninth 
tough game in there. I think, you know, you start looking at the way this schedule and you, you do these things like 10, 12, 100 years ahead of time. I mean, didn't South Carolina schedule Virginia Tech and Miami mm-hmm. for like 40 years from now? Yes. I mean, it's like... eighty-nine, well, And that's another point that Sankey brought up in terms of we're, you know, a year and a half away from the 2024 football season. South Carolina's already got four opponents lined up for non-conference next year, Old Dominion, Akron, Wofford, and of course Clemson. And, you know, the farther this goes along, the harder it is to remove one of those games and replace it with a conference game. So that could be another mm-hmm. caveat for why this might get put off for another year. Well, and you look at the the model of kind of, if you keep the eight games beyond the 2023 season, or 2024, if you, if you go long-term with the one permanent and the seven rotating, then you're getting into the realm of cutting out those secondary big rivalry games. And it seems a lot of programs, and probably Greg Sankey, yeah. want to keep those, right? Right. And uh, we'll hit this on the other side. There's an interesting note about what they would do in 24 with the schedule in regard to those games. What that next when we come back on the Gamecock Central Takeover Hour. Then by Firehouse Subs on 107.5 The Game. It's the Gamecock Central Takeover Hour. 107.5 The Game. We were so excited to be at Gold Line Framey a couple of weeks ago, and you can go over there now as well. Uh, guys, uh, we saw the artwork on the walls. We saw some williams Bryce Stadium prints. We saw williams Bryce Stadium drawings, and uh, we saw some awesome framing jobs as well. I've been telling people for the last few weeks, if you have a graduate in your life, if you have a graduate from South Carolina, a graduate from one of the other colleges in the, uh, you know, in the state of South Carolina, even if you have a Clemson grad, I understand, guys, that they keep these in the back, but they do have some uh, ways for you to frame up a Clemson diploma as well. Uh, they certainly do cater a little bit more, I feel like, to Gamecock fans. But if you're a Clemson fan, you can get that too. Head on over to get Gold Line Framing. Uh, my friend Kendall Walsh uh, will take care of you. This is in West Columbia, South Carolina. Um, Gold Line Framing, an excellent place to find a gift for that graduate in your life. More on the SC schedule on the other side. Gamecock Central Takeover Hour presented by Firehouse Subs on 107.5 The Game. It's the Gamecock Central Takeover Hour. Presented by Firehouse Subs. Founded by Firemen with Chris Clark, Wes Mitchell, and Tyler Head. On your home of the Gamecocks. 107.5 The Game. And welcome back into the Gamecock Central Takeover Hour. Presented by Firehouse Subs, Tyler West and Chris along with you for a few more minutes before handing things over to Jay and Terry for the halftime show. We've been talking about the SEC scheduling model as the SEC spring meetings get underway down in Destin, Florida. And before we hit the break there, Chris was talking about the secondary rivalries and how the eight-game conference schedule would affect those. Obviously, uh, with the eight-game model, you'd have your one permanent opponent and then your seven opponents that mix and match over the course of the next couple of seasons. So the Iron Bowl obviously would be preserved. You know, Georgia-Florida would be preserved. Uh, what, uh, LSU and, uh, no, 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 sorry, Arkansas and uh, Missouri, I think, would be one of the ones that get preserved. And so on and so forth, but the secondary rivalries, your Alabama-Tennessees, your Georgia-Auburns, those would eventually get to where you're not playing them every single year under an eight-game model. But Greg Sankey did say, should they go to this, at least for the one year, the idea would be to have those for that season, assuming maybe go to the nine-game schedule in 2025, and then you're able to continue those on without having any breaks there. 
Right, and that and that is one of the advantages of the nine game, right? I mean, I think. Correct me if I'm wrong, guys. Everybody in college football wants to see Texas and Texas A&M return. Absolutely. Right? I mean, there's no. It's just ridiculous that this game isn't played. I like watching Alabama and Tennessee. I like watching Auburn Georgia. So I'm kind of conflicted because I do like those games. I also just on a more micro level, following the South Carolina program, being that involved with it. I, I think if you're South Carolina, I think you vote against the nine-game schedule. Use vote as a just kind of a hyperbolic term. You you kind of are against it for the reasons that we stated in the last segment, right? You, you're already playing your conference schedule. You're playing Clemson every year, who happens to be a very, very good program. And then you're typically going to have another, I mean, this year, North Carolina, you're you're typically going to have another really good game. And, and it's cool to have all these good games if you win, you know, um, there's a lot of excitement going into them, but it makes it difficult. Now, there is an opening for teams like South Carolina or some others to make a bigger play to win a championship one day with the expansion of the college football playoff, but it's just hard with a schedule like this. So I find myself a little conflicted. I want these games to be played, but I also think, just me personally, I kind of like keeping the eight-game schedule. Now, Del- Ross Dellinger pointed out in his story expected permanence in an eight-game model for South Carolina, and this would be kind of the, that one-year model would be South Carolina-Kentucky. Hey. Yeah, I mean, that's a natural... Oh, it's two schools that really don't have any natural other... Natural place to go. ...big in-conference rivals necessarily compared to some of the other ones. The Georgia-Florida's the, you know, Auburn-Alabama's type thing. If you're a Gamecock yeah. fan, you're you're all for that, right? Be I mean, all for it, yeah, yeah. Kentucky, yeah, of course, play them every year. Yeah, I, I think you're very happy with that. But uh, by the way, Ross Dellinger, let's give him a round of applause, man. This guy, yeah, he rules, kills it on the SEC beat as far as knowing what's going to happen before it happens. Probably nobody better right now. But the the fact is. There's a lot of every, everything's in flux right now, so everything's on the table. I think, but I, if I'm South Carolina, like I said to start, like Chris said, I'm, I'm cool with staying with eight. Especially, you know, these other teams don't all have, but basically their their top rivals are all already in conference. So you're looking at protecting those, yes. But if you add an additional game, that's really not the same as it is for South Carolina when you have an SEC quality program out of conference. You know, in Clemson, Georgia gets to play Georgia Tech in that slot. So, you know, I, I think uh, it, it is a little bit different for the Gamecocks. And I think you're cool with eight right now. You're cool with Kentucky. And, and ultimately, th- does it matter that you're going to have to, when, when you go to nine, you're going to have to cancel games more than likely that have already been scheduled out. So how what what is the financial impact of potentially having to pull out of games like what do those contracts say mm-hmm. as far as canceling them do you have to pay out is there a window where let's say if the game isn't and for eight years from now if you cancel it now <laughs> is there still that huge payout or you know I, I don't i don't know i don't know what those contracts look like yeah and they might be all different you know mm-hmm. for different games different uh, runways windows of time but you think about the guarantees that you pay out for those games right and, oh yeah normally gets talked about if a team loses well you paid 
you paid such and such to come to your half place a mil to come to eat you. Yeah, half a mil, seven fifty. I mean, they get up there, right? And so, you know, depending on the contract, they can be pretty punitive. And so, if you're balancing, okay, yeah, we're getting an additional. I, I guess the way you would think about it is, hey, if we're getting an extra five million dollars to do that, that's just an estimate. Where did these estimates come from? Sure, maybe the SEC came up with it as a as a kind of a public bargaining chip. You know, I think that's the part that's getting lost in all this is. What's one way that you can kind of bargain on these things if you're ESPN, if you're the SEC? You can kind of use the media to push some of these pieces. You could even use some of your league's coaches maybe to push some of these pieces if you want. Well, the funniest thing of all this is we're still not guaranteed to get an answer this week at the SEC meetings. They don't have to. There's no specific deadline to make this decision. We're hoping they're going to figure things out this week, but we may still be having the same conversation a week from now. Yeah, we, we could be. Uh, by the way, y'all, before we get out of here, I wanted to leave y'all with something a little bit different, get y'all's quick reaction. Back to baseball real quick. So y'all have heard me mention on the show before this guy Parker. He's stat, Stats O'War mm-hmm. on Twitter. Yep. Has a, a very, very good follow. Give him a follow, at Stats O'War. A lot of times he does football models, but he actually has a college baseball model. I don't know if y'all saw this, but um, he does sim games, basically. After 10,000 simulations probability of making the college world series not winning it making it south carolina according to his sim has a 29.5 percent chance to make it that is let's see one two three four five six that is seventh best in the country and apparently i saw will helms tweeted this his model even takes into account what have you done for me lately so it weights some of the more more recent results as well if you're the Gamecocks, if you're the Gamecock fan base, and I told you right now you got a 30% chance to go to Omaha, you are taking that all the way. And um, interestingly enough, Florida, who, of course, South Carolina is paired with at 35.1%. Uh, so a little bit more than South Carolina. But essentially, you know, you add those two together – that tells me that even with as much chaos as generally happens in baseball, especially baseball postseason, these at least this model very much thinks that South Carolina and Florida will exit their regional and essentially they're opposing each other. Like South Carolina in this yeah. model is what is keeping Florida from having a much higher percentage. And in this model, Florida is what is keeping South Carolina from having a higher percentage. And as far as the regional difficulty, South Carolina's regional right in the middle. Fascinating. Interesting. We'll let y'all chew on that for 24 hours. We'll be back for tomorrow's edition of the Gamecock Central Takeover Hour presented by Firehouse Subs. Halftime Show with Jay and Terry coming up next on 107.5 The Game.